In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Jesus says, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things he possesseth. A few things Jesus says are as forcefully challenging to us as these words. Our society is saturated with precisely the opposite message. It says to us continually, your life, your value, consists in the abundance of your possessions. The more you have the more valuable you are. The higher your net worth, the more worthwhile you are. We tend to admire those who have abundance of things, and we foster a special place in our cultural pantheon for the hero of the rags-to-riches story. We idolize people like Elon Musk. Conversely, we look askance at the poor, if we think of them at all. Surely, we say to ourselves, their poverty is their own fault. Moreover, we're constantly bombarded with enticements to covetousness and greed, from the latest beguilingly photographed ad in your Instagram feed to the end cap at the grocery store, which I confess to being particularly susceptible to. (laughs) Nearly everything in our culture is oriented toward nourishing a desire to have more. Our favored God is Mammon, the God of earthly security, as Rusty Reno calls him. Of course, American society is not alone in rendering service to Mammon, and neither is capitalism. Social reforms cannot cure this disease, because covetousness is a spiritual condition, a matter of the heart. And every human since the fall has been subject to this propensity, It is covetousness, this desire to have more, one of the many vices that characterize unredeemed human nature. To use Paul's language, the old man is characterized by disordered desire, by the inclination to, among other things, as Paul puts it, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is a feature of the damage of sin, and so much so that, as we heard in our epistle lesson, St. Paul can even call it the root of all evil. Sin is the matter of the heart, disordered desire, and covetousness is one of its principal forms. The Greek word for covetousness used by St. Luke and St. Paul in our passages this morning names the desire to have more. It's closely synonymous with the word avarice, which comes from the Latin word meaning simply to crave. Greed and cupidity mean much the same. It names a boundless desire to have more. Unlike gluttony or lust, it does not have a specific object of desire. It simply wants more. And so it's best pictured as a gaping mouth. 
Boethius, the great writer of the 6th century, describes it thus. He says, Wild greed swallows what it has sought and still gapes wide for more. Or to use the language of our parable this morning, greed never finds its barns big enough. What has is never enough. It always wants to build bigger barns. St. Paul equates covetousness with idolatry. Why is that? Because the desire for more can master us. It can lead us to order our whole lives around its demands, serving it as if it were a god. Covetousness is idolatry because it sets another god, Mammon, the god of earthly security, before the Lord our God, the one Lord we are to love with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our strength. As Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. The thing about covetousness is that it's very difficult to dislodge and it can be devilishly devious. Even the monk who renounces all earthly possessions to serve God alone in the desert can still carry with him the love of money hidden away in his heart. On the other hand, greed can often mask itself as a virtue, appearing in the guise of prudence or frugality, but still enticing us to seek earthly security above all else, to serve mammon. Jesus' parable shows something of what I mean. Think about the rich man in the parable. He doesn't strike you as someone who's obviously covetous, does he? At first, he appears to be positively virtuous, a model of good stewardship. He is a successful farmer, a successful businessman. He's done well. He's blessed with a fruitful harvest of grain, and the abundance of it is so much that it exceeds his current capacity for storage. It's a problem I think we all wouldn't mind having ourselves. So he decides to take what seems to be a very practical course of action. He doesn't have enough room to store all his crops, so he decides to make more room, to build greater barns to store all the excess grain, and then to enjoy the good life. What he does seems so obviously right to us, so much in line with our picture of the good life, of what we hope for in retirement even, that we are shocked to hear God call him a fool. It had seemed that the man was an exemplar of practical wisdom, but God tells him that he is without wisdom. Why? The rich man is foolish because he thought only of securing his earthly goods. Because he failed to see both that he was not capable of doing that and that his possessions were not his to begin with. Indeed, he speaks of his goods and even his soul as if they belonged securely to him. He did not see that neither his goods nor yet his soul belonged finally to him, but to God, the giver of all good. He did not remember, as our epistle says, that we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing else. The rich man was foolish, because he spent all of his energies and thought 
on following his covetousness, on trying to secure a future he could not secure. He gave no thought to God, from whom he had received his very life. He laid up treasure for himself and was not rich toward God. How like that rich man I am. What is the cure, then, for covetousness? What is the antidote to avarice? To try to answer that question, I want to turn to what Paul says at the end of our epistle. He says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now, before we say more about what Paul says, let me just clear up a potential misunderstanding. When Paul talks about the rich in this world, he's talking about absolutely everybody in this room, you and me without exception. No matter what your income is, your standard of living is vastly much higher than the majority of humans around the world today and across time. So don't think you can wiggle out from what Jesus says by saying it doesn't apply to you. All right, now that we've got that cleared up, how does Paul present the cure to covetousness? First, he calls for a change of heart. He calls us to a humble trust in God's provision. We, the rich, ought not to be haughty, nor to think that we are better than others simply because we've got more things. Don't think that you are better than the fellow on the side of the road just because you're in your car and he's there on the street. We're not to set our hopes on uncertain riches, not to trust in the hollow God of earthly security, but in the living God who richly furnishes us with everything to enjoy. As Paul says elsewhere, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you have received it, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? So the first part of the cure is attitudinal, to humbly trust in the living God who fills all things living with plenteousness. The second crucial part of the cure has to do with practice, with action. And it is that the surest antidote to avarice is acts of generosity. Do good, St. Paul says. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. That goes what Jesus says when he says, sell that ye have and give alms. Instead of seeking to have more, seek to give more. Your money doesn't belong to you anyway. God has given it to you for the sake of others. Instead of opening your mouth in covetousness, open your hand in generosity. Let opening your hand in generosity teach you to close your mouth in contentment. 
A mentor of mine speaks of generosity as a liberating spiritual practice. I think he's right about that. Acts of generosity work to free the soul from the tyrannous desire of covetousness. To be generous is to rebel against the rule of mammon, the god of earthly security. And in so doing, generosity frees us to be rich toward God, to offer ourselves, souls and bodies, in wholehearted service to the living God, whose service is perfect freedom. Now let me make all this a little bit more concrete. A few weeks ago, Dr. Armitage asked us, do you adjust your budget around your giving, or do you adjust your giving around your budget? And this morning, I want to ask you, and I should be clear that I'm preaching first of all to myself here, when you look at your family budget, what does it say? What does it reveal about your soul? Does it tend more to promote covetousness, or does it tend more towards generosity? Does it suggest that you're storing up treasure for yourself, serving the God of earthly security, or does it suggest that you are being rich toward God? In the end, our covetousness will be cured when all our desires have been reordered and reoriented toward the love of God. When we come by God's grace to do as Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, not second or third or fourth. If covetousness is an unbounded desire to have more, if it's the gaping mouth, then finite things will never satisfy it. Only the infinite can. Only the Lord can truly satisfy our desires. Open your mouth wide, the Lord says in the psalm, I will fill it. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. God himself is the end of all our desire. And it's by his gift that we can come to desire nothing more than God himself. And today, he invites you and me to come to his table and to open our mouths wide that he might fill us, that he might fill us with his own life, with his body and his blood, that our lives our open hands might show forth the inexpressible generosity of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.